A good friend of mine in seminary was very into sailing. We, I went to Mundelein Seminary where uh, it's built there on a little lake called St. Mary's Lake. It's about a mile long and not as far across, um, but gets a decent wind north-south. And the seminary owns a little sunfish, a uh, tiny sailboat, and he used to go out on nice days and go sailing. But what he'd always wanted to do was get a big boat and take it out on Lake Michigan. He'd never done that. And finally, one year, he bought, uh, over break, a used 18-foot sailboat. And he brought it all the way back to the seminary on a trailer. And he was looking very forward to going out, taking a few guys out to the lake, to Lake Michigan, and seeing how fast he could get it to go. And it was a nice boat. It was kind of old, but in good shape. And he took it out one day, and it went great. And the sail took the wind, and they just were hauling, going so fast, and it was exhilarating. Um, he was a pretty competent sailor, and they didn't even wear life jackets, but it was fine. You know, there, was, there were risk takers, but it, it ended up fine. They came back and had a great day. Well, the next weekend, he took a different group of guys out on the boat. And this time, they did wear life jackets, which was fortunate, because it did not go nearly as well. What happened was that in sailing, you have to kind of change the direction of the, I'm terrible at boat terms. I don't know sailing very well, but you have to change the direction of the sail, and this thing kind of swings past whoever's sitting in the boat. You have to either duck under it or kind of go around it. Anyways, one of the guys who happened to weigh like 250 pounds didn't get out of the way, and he kind of knocked over and fell out into the boat, and then that created the whole, this whole big shift, and the boat went to the side and got swamped, got filled with water. Well, no problem, except that this particular boat, they didn't realize, did not have those sections of kind of air pockets that would make the boat float no matter what, in other words, uh, it was like the Titanic. The whole thing just filled with water, and there was no way to get the water out. Even when they put it back upright, it was swamped. And so there was no lift to it, and it just kind of went, they got the mast up straight, and then it would go down the other way, and vice versa. And it also happened to be the middle of October, and Lake Michigan was very, very cold. And they were out hundreds and hundreds of yards from the shore. And they kept trying and trying and trying to get the thing upright and to just kind of bail it out to see if they could float it and get back to shore. And this went on for what felt like 20 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour. And things started to look pretty bleak. <laughs> and uh, finally, somebody came along in another smaller boat and they could fit one or two of the guys on it. And they were freezing cold. They were shivering. And uh, they were... You know, not able to make any, they don't think they had their cell phone or anything like that. They weren't able to make it. Finally, like an hour and a half later, uh, a Coast Guard boat comes out of nowhere. It turns out that somebody on the shore, on the beach, had seen this mast keep going up and down and up and down and up, and they thought, maybe there's a problem. And the Coast Guard came out in their big boat and scooped them all out of the, out of the sea. And by this point, they were almost hypothermic. The guys that were still trying to get the boat upright, one of them had pulled out his pocket knife and was trying to carve through like a two-inch diameter steel cable on the boat. And he's thinking that, oh, maybe if I cut this, but his brain, his brain was just not working. I don't know if you've ever been hypothermic, but it was getting really bleak. And finally, they got scooped up. The Coast Guard put them, they, they uh, gave them these dry blankets. They put them in the hull of the boat in heat. And they realized they were saved. And what they said was that all of a sudden they just started laughing uncontrollably. It was like nobody was making a joke, but it was just something about the whole situation and the fact that now they were safe, now they were warm, now they were dry. They were just 
they burst out laughing to the point that the Coast Guard from up on the deck came down and said, could you guys be quiet? We can't hear what they're saying on the radio because <laughs> they were just laughing so hard. Why I thought of this was the psalm, uh, Psalm 126, which was our psalm response today, was one of the psalms of the return from exile. And there's this great line in it. It says, when the Lord brought back the captives of Zion, we were like men dreaming. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with rejoicing. What is it talking about? It's talking about being rescued and laughing and being filled with laughter and rejoicing. But what, what are they being rescued from? Well, basically, there are two liberations, two stories of liberation in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that kind of make the whole thing hold together. What the whole Bible, in a way, is about is both the Exodus, when Israel was freed from slavery in Egypt and God rescued them from Pharaoh, and the return from the Babylonian exile, which was about 500 years before Jesus, that the Babylonians had come in under King Nebuchadnezzar and exiled all of the Jews from Jerusalem, the holy city, and for about 87 years, they're stuck in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. And they think, our temple's destroyed, our society is destroyed, we're never going to get to go back to the promised land, which is what God promised Abraham and all our descendants from the very beginning. Everything is ruined and all hope is lost. Until finally, it just happened through the political machinations of the day, Cyrus the Persian conquers Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and frees the Jews and sends them back to Jerusalem and, and lets them rebuild the temple and even helps them. And so this story of the return from exile back to Jerusalem is like the most mind-blowing rescue that they could ever have imagined. And a lot of the psalms have to do with this story. There are both psalms of sadness when they are in exile, like on the cedars of Lebanon, there we hung up our harps. How could we sing a song of the Lord on alien soil? Is that famous psalm? That they're just sad, they can't sing, they can't laugh, they can't be happy because they're in exile. And then there's this psalm, 126, that remember when we came back from Zion, we were like men dreaming. On our lips there was laughter and rejoicing. We were uncontrollable in our happiness. But that's what the Bible is about. And that, that my friend who, and his buddies that got rescued that day, that's what they experienced. And I remember the next day he, he said that he was reading the Office of Readings and one of the Psalms was about we reeled like drunken men. We were overcome by waves and torrents, and then God picked us up out of the sea. It's just all up and down the Bible, all over the scriptures, the idea that God has come to save us from a mess we made. We got ourselves in a bad situation. We made some wrong decisions, and now all hope seems to be lost. Yet God sees us in our affliction, in our slavery, in our despair, and he comes to save us. There's this literary term that actually J.R.R. Tolkien uh, invented called catastrophe," and he's the expert of using it if you've ever read Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or any of his books. The catastrophe is basically the opposite of a catastrophe. It's that a catastrophe is when everything's going fine and then all of a sudden, you know, a hurricane hits or a volcano explodes. A catastrophe is the opposite, when all hope seems to be lost. It seems that you are definitely going to die, like the hobbits going off to Mordor. And then something happens, like an eagle comes down and swoops you and takes you back to the you know, promised land. Some you catastrophe, something out of nowhere, a deus ex machina, comes and rescues you when you think that's not even possible. But that is what the Bible is about, and it's what Advent is about. The Advent is this kind of practice for waiting for the rescue. 
both in our, our prophet Baruch and in the prophet Isaiah and today in the Gospel of Luke, where John the Baptist is echoing all of these uh, prophecies of old that make way for the Lord to come, make a highway. He says, the exiles are returning and God is coming to rescue us. Make all of the valleys filled and make all of the mountains low. Make the highway straight so God can get to us and come save us. Basically, get everything out of the way because something is about to happen. A catastrophe is on the way. And what is that catastrophe? What is that miracle that we could never have expected? It's the baby in the manger. It's that God has become one of us in order to lift us out of our misery and pain and bring us to where he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven forever. That we're in a mess that we made. It may not have been our fault, but it is our problem. We're reeling like drunken men. We're totally lost at sea. We're freezing to death. And sometimes we don't even realize it. And God is coming in his Coast Guard boat to lift us out of the waters of chaos and bring us into warmth and peace and life. There's this great line in the prophet Baruch. He's talking about this return from exile. He's prophesying that God is going to bring us back to Jerusalem, back home. And he says, Up, Jerusalem! Stand upon the heights! Look to the east and see your children gathered from the east and the west at the word of the Holy One, rejoicing that they are remembered by God. They are remembered by God. Do you know the name Jesus? The angel Gabriel tells Mary, you're going to name your son Jesus. The name Jesus means God saves. Yeshua, Yahweh saves. From that first utterance of the angel to Mary, it's like news that God's coming. He remembers you. You're not actually lost. Someone sees where you are and they're coming to get you. Now this could be your personal life. This could be your friend group, your relationship, your home life, your family, your school. Whatever is going on that might seem chaotic or out of control or unresolvable, or it might just be the world at large. You might just look out at the world and say, what a mess. How are we ever going to get saved? How is God ever going to make sense of this? Well, he remembers you. You're remembered by the Lord. And Jesus, God saves, he's coming to get you. He's coming to bring you home. So make the valleys filled and bring the mountains down. Whatever you have in your life, or whatever you have in your mind, whatever obstacle there is to God's coming to you, get it out of the way and let him come because he remembers you and is coming to save you.